Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. All right. Hey, and thanks for listening into the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Allie Henney. Hello. Hi. Well, thanks so much for taking some time out of your schedule. Uh, I wanted to kind of give you some broad introduction, but I really don't know you super well at all. Uh, just looking at your bio, I know you're a recent graduate of Fuller Seminary, and you did a time, was a theolo- theologian in residence at a church I used to go to, Brentwood Christian Church in Springfield, Missouri? Yes, that's right. That's right. Now, what else, uh, what else could you tell our listeners about yourself? Um, let's see. So I, my undergrad degree was in psychology. I graduated um, from Missouri State University with a degree in psychology and a minor in religious studies in mm-hmm. 2008. And so after that, I had been in ministry in kind of different capacities and in some different um, types of churches, uh, mostly kind of in the, in the non-denominational Pentecostal mm-hmm. slash charismatic realm, um, had been, had been in ministry, been, been a youth pastor and that type of stuff. Um, started that I, I was, uh, st- whenever I was in college really. So, so 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. um, and had done that for for many years, and um, I was led my last youth group in twenty six the twenty sixteen twenty seventeen um, school year, but kind of in between all of that. So I, I had solidly I did had done youth ministry solidly for probably about seven or eight years, and then um, or maybe even closer to ten years. I guess it would have been it was probably closer to ten years that I did that I did youth ministry pretty solidly, and then. Um, in about, I guess I was right the first time ever I said about seven or eight years, but then um, had some you know, t- different times off of with moving and, and having two kids. I have, I have uh, two kids mm-hmm. who are um, three and six years old and then um, kind of moved out of youth ministry for a little bit in doing uh, serving in, in various capacities in other churches and then like i said my uh, led my last youth group in the 2016-2017 school year and then um since then i i entered seminary um at fuller in 2017 and so um i was an associate pastor as part of my apprenticeship which is just like a fancy word that fuller uses for like doing a ministry internship so i helped plant a church um in springfield with that and then um kind of during my seminary kind of overlapping the last little the little bit um phil snyder and emily bowen marler invited me to be the theologian in residence at brentwood and so um i did that and then all that kind of hit right as the the pandemic um i I was able i was only able to really um be fulfill that aspect of of my ministry there um for just temporarily i preached a few times and um, did did some discussions and stuff with with Phil and then the pandemic hit and so now um, I'm still where we're 
working on ways for me um, to be able to work with Brentwood um, remotely because my family, first of all, because of the pandemic, but second of all, um, because my family relocated uh, to Chicago. And so um, it makes it harder to be a theologian in residence yeah. whenever you're not actually living in the city. So we're, we're working, imagining some kind of creative ways well, to awesome. be able. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. I was thinking about that. It's one of the, I don't know, silver linings maybe about this is we're finding new ways to interact with different communities from far away. Yeah, definitely. Well, I didn't realize, um, I think it was around 2007, maybe. I'm not sure if it was 2008. I tried a little entrance into Missouri State uh, because I was going to pursue a master's in religious studies. And I I took a couple undergrad religious studies courses just to get my prereqs and I took one summer class <laughs> and I dropped out and said uh this isn't for me <laughs> and eventually enrolled in seminary but that's awesome oh, wow yeah yeah tell me what it what it's meant uh being a Christian in your past and then if anything's different what's that look like now so in the past, I uh, I grew up in the black church and in the, in the African American church tradition. Um, started out in in a Baptist church, and then um, whenever mm-hmm. I was a teenager, my family started attending attending a black Pentecostal church. And so it wasn't until I uh, went to college that I started attending predominantly white churches. So, um, sort of, you know, the the black church is is my is my mother tongue. It's my it's my mother church. In fact, mm-hmm. something that's been exciting about moving um, back to Chicago or moving not back to Chicago, moving to Chicago, yeah. it has been because um, I'm I'm a native Missourian. But moving to Chicago, something an exciting prospect, um, despite kind of the pandemic, has been the prospect of being able to worship again in um, a predominantly black church context and so I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward um, to that but um, you know the the black church definitely has shaped who I am as a as a Christian it shaped who I am um, in in my faith walk and so um, it's it's definitely been been something that's that I'm I'm recognizing now because I've, I've spent a lot of my adult life in churches that were predominantly white or yeah. kind of white led multi ethnic churches and so even realizing just kind of as I've as I've gotten older here in these last few years recognizing just how um, invaluable that experience has been growing up in the black church um, a lot of a lot of black folks even anymore. Um, a lot of them, especially if they if they occupy quote unquote evangelical Christian spaces, mm-hmm. um, you were, we're finding I'm uh, finding increasingly that there's some folks that that's that that's all they've ever known, and mm-hmm. so um, I'm thankful that that um, you know that I've had experiences with the Christian faith outside of contexts that are white dominated, and so that's been something that's just that's really um, informed and has and has shaped my faith. Awesome. Are you willing to share kind of anything about, uh, I'm making assumptions here, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but I imagine kind of the non-denominational churches you're a part of different contextually, theologically than say Brentwood Christian Church that our listeners may not be familiar with, but as a, a church in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ and pretty liberal, I would say, theologically and um, practically speaking. Yeah, should, are you willing to share anything about that? If there's any shift there or journey that's brought you to this space? 
Um, yeah, I think that, um, so a lot of my time, like I, like I said, um, a lot of the adult life spent kind of in, in Pentecostal and charismatic circles. And mm-hmm. you know, that's definitely, um, definitely my, my grammar, I guess it were, um, as as a as a christian you know i, I look I, I look at um at my, my my life my faith sort of through that lens um you know I, i'm an episcopalian now um okay. but with but with all of that said you know, episcopalian and then you know i've worked with with different churches yeah. and have worked um but not not all of the the non-denominational churches. In fact, the church that I helped plant um, actually is now a Disciples of Christ Church. We were we were interdenominational. Oh, that's um, awesome. Whenever I started it, but then but then um, it's now a, a Disciples um, Church. But it, but that all happened after um, all after I I left after I'd, I'd been I mm-hmm. moved on and stuff after after my apprenticeship. But yeah, it's it's been um, whenever I say you know think of think of journey once again I, I go back to to some of those black church touch points that um that you know a lot of how i learned how to view scripture and whatever kind of comes from that context and so that's a little bit different than i, I never i was in churches that maybe would there are people that maybe would consider themselves to be evangelical churches pentecostals are kind of um different kind of within within church camps in that um they technically depending especially upon the they, they technically are um are evangelical yeah. but would not um a lot of them would not wear that label would not mm-hmm. would not identify in that way even though increasingly they are there's kind of pentecostalism kind of has this weird kind of um relationship with with evangelicalism yeah um, because pentecostals often can compare Pentecostals and charismatics often kind of see themselves as as different than kind of um the the mainstream of of churches and i say mainstream and not and not mainline for yeah. for for a reason so and Pentecostals also see themselves as different from from the mainline and yeah. stuff also but of churches that that might be similar in in a lot of ways and there's definitely something to be said of the Pentecostalization of like you know for instance the the Southern Baptist um churches or whatever there's there's been a lot of kind of cross pollination a lot of whatever that that sometimes it is hard to discern um different denominational churches um from one another um so but for me um you know being somebody that came from the um black church and so coming from not not necessarily a historic denomination like the ame or something or mm-hmm. the church of god in christ or something like that but just black churches that were that were you know historically black and have been were founded by black people and had black members uh coming from coming from that frame um there were definitely you know some commonalities especially um in terms of of the pentecostalism and, and some of the some of the different beliefs and and stuff there but um in terms of like you know culture wars christianity which is what i i typically um, associate with evangelicalism. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that that's, which is why I, I, I don't, I've never really considered myself to be an evangelical. You know, there, there are times, um, I think I, you know, I had, I had a blog post that I was looking at like, you know, long ago and I was like, Oh yeah, you know, yeah, we're evangelical Christians, but it's more of kind of like a, a kind of shorthand way of saying, okay. Like, and actually I was saying it kind of by way of, of making a joke um, about yeah. something, but I never, but I never really kind of viewed myself as I, I always, 
was even being in some of those contexts where it's like, okay, we're going to have culture war Christianity. I always kind of look at people like, what, like, what is this? Like, what, like, like, what do you, what do you mean you're going to freak out about evolution? Like, like you can't believe in evolution and believe in Jesus. Like, I mean, you talk about believing in evolution, even like, like evolution can't be true and the Bible can't be true at the same time. Like, like why, like, why is this, like, like, why is this something like your people, like, like kids are like, Oh, we can't like something that was a pet peeve of mine. Like as a youth pastor, it's it kind of funny even um, that happened. I, I was in a church and, and I didn't intend for this to, to be for, I didn't intend for this to happen at all. But like um, there was one, there was one Wednesday night that I, that I was preaching to youth group and I was telling them, I was like, I was basically like, you know, this whole idea that you can't pray in school because you're a Christian is a load of crap. <laughs> like you can, like you can, you can pray at school. Like it's like, it is okay. The thing is that like your teachers can't mandate you to pray in school. They can't like, they can't like, you know, have a time, like your teachers have to be careful about, about how they approach prayer and stuff. But you as a Christian have every right to pray in school and don't let anybody tell you that you can't pray in school. And if somebody says, oh, well, they're taking prayers out of school. They're full of crap. And so, like, not very long after that, the pastor of the church yeah, like, said bet. that in the message, and I was like, <laughs> "Whoop!" And I don't know if anybody else, if anybody else caught it, but I was like, um, "So the, the, you know, the pastor of the church is all talking like, oh, and they're trying to take prayer out of schools, blah yep. blah blah." And I'm like, "No, like, fam, they're like, fam, it's okay. Like, they're like, they're really not coming oh. for your kids." <laughs> brain in school wow. and like you know people like i remember one time seeing a kid like wearing a shirt something that was like handcuff me i prayed in school today yeah like, yep like like no fam like nobody like it's it's really not that deep fam like you like you can you can pray at school nobody's keeping you from praying at school like you can totally you can totally do that and so i so i always kind of found myself and, and i was having this conversation uh with with my husband um probably a year or so about a year ago actually exactly a year ago um we were having this conversation um on our way back from from dropping our nephew off um who had visited us for for a couple of weeks during the summer and so we were just kind of um long car ride and stuff mm-hmm. back back home and we were talking about stuff and so um i had uh, just listened to it just finished um searching for sunday by rachel held evans yeah. like you yeah. know did, I, I it was actually you know that not this being you know several months after after she had after she had passed um, yeah. you know, i don't have i don't have a whole lot in common with with rachel yeah. um in terms of our faith journey but definitely um a friend had recommended um searching for sunday for like a whole other set of reasons mm-hmm. than what the book actually deals with but it was something that was it was life-changing for me even though like our stories and kind of some of the some of the different things that, that she talks about um, were, aren't, aren't my story at all or at all whatsoever, but just hearing how God worked in her life, it was something that really spoke to me. And so we had listened to it on the, on the car ride to, to drop my nephew off. And so then whenever we were on our way back home, we were talking about stuff and we just kind of had this, this epiphany that's like, yeah, we've always been in kind of some of these spaces, but yeah. like, we're like, we didn't, think like these people <laughs> and yeah. I mean that just like, and I don't mean that to to be to to you know be like condescending or, yeah, or anything yeah. like that like you know there's no no condescension or, or anything yeah um but just you know recognizing that that um you know I I definitely approached God and the Bible and culture in a much different way and so then going to Fuller which is a quote-unquote evangelical yeah. seminary but it's but I mean it's it, it is but it also isn't at the same mm-hmm. time and so um 
And it's really interesting to even look at some of my classmates and stuff, um, some of my colleagues and stuff at, at Fuller, that I think that a lot of us think a lot differently than what people who would, but what people would expect um, people mm-hmm. who would go to Fuller um, to think on on certain issues and stuff. And it, it is just, it's just, is really, it just was a really, really interesting ride and, and a great, it was a great part of part of my faith. Um, you know, something that that really helped develop and shape my faith to to be there and be part of that institution. Um, also for for all of its issues, because there's some sometimes whenever that you know, quote unquote evangelical yeah. aspect comes to, to, to bite fuller in the behind when, you know, they, they um, don't treat certain students well because of their, of their sexual orientation. And so mm-hmm. there's, so there is some of that there still, but it's, but it's just really interesting because like a lot of the, a lot of my classmates, a lot of people that, that, that I knew there like vehemently disagreed with fuller yeah. um so it's like it's like hold on a second what do you mean so it's like so it's like almost kind of like this this kind of weird like it's just it's it's a it's just a, a weird in a weird place but i say all that to say that you know during so then during um seminary reaching kind of this uh place in my faith where i realized huh you know i, I guess i'm i guess i'm anglican and, and also you know looking for for um a, i'm not ordained in the Episcopal church, mm-hmm. but kind of discerning what that, what that means, feeling called um, yeah. to be ordained in, in the church. And so looking for a church that, um, that espouses some of my values and espouses some of the things that I kind of um, am, am exploring and kind of enjoy about, about worship and that type of thing. And so the Episcopal church has been, has been a great fit, but it's like, wow, I guess I kind of have been Episcopalian all along and mm. didn't and didn't realize it or even thinking about um, you know, talking about uh, serving at Brentwood yeah and and you know Phil um, has been um, I've, I've known I've known Phil for uh, several years now and so we mm-hmm. kind of have have run in some of the same circles yeah. and everything and so um, you know Phil has has I think that we have mutually challenged each other perhaps not even realizing mm-hmm. that that we've that we kind of have, have challenged each other and stretched each other and pulled each other um, kind of along the way but even um, you, you know just being able being being involved with Brentwood and kind of for for years being adjacent to, to Brentwood um, through through Phil and Emily and everything um, has just been has has been tremendous in recognizing like oh yeah okay some of these mainline people you know I, I'm not I would not consider myself I mean I know that I attend a, you know a mainline denomination yeah. but I don't consider, but it's like kind of, kind of in this in this weird place of like you know not like like fitting in some ways right some places but then not fitting in other places and other yeah. in other ways so it's kind of like you know being being too being too charismatic or whatever for for mainline people perhaps but being like way too not evangelical for for evangelicals but definitely the the episcopal church um in in many ways has has felt like home and i'm and i'm looking forward to the opportunity once the pandemic um dies down or gets to a place where we can all worship together here again i'm looking forward to being part of a of a of a black um episcopal church which is which is different than other Mm -hmm. episcopal churches so yeah yeah well, great. I'm curious if there's any spiritual practices that you've recently developed or would share as something that's been meaningful for you. Yeah, so there's there's several things. I really in I, I have always um, enjoyed spiritual disciplines. It's always been um, a, a vital part of of my faith, and so um, even just in seminary, learning 
different different types of spiritual practices that mm. I that I didn't know existed yeah. or things that that I already kind of organically did but maybe didn't have like you know the the didn't have a name for it didn't yeah. know that like oh oh yeah this is something that people have done in the church for centuries and it's just something that I kind of thought like oh whatever so so um I I, I definitely am somebody that that I really enjoy enjoy the type of thing and I and I definitely need to make more room for for various practices in my life but but some of the things that um that that just more recently have been have been giving me life is um one thing that i've that i do um episcopalians we have the book of common prayer which is like it's it's basically kind of what our worship services tend to be based off of um some episcopalians do more or, or stick closer to the book than others do but it's kind of the the outline for for our worship services and then for for um, other services and stuff in the church. And so there's a lot of, of different things within, within the Book of Common Prayer. But one of those things is something called the Daily Office, um, which is a mixture of prayer and scripture reading. Mm-hmm. And so um, there is a podcast that I listen to that actually, it, it's a Daily Office podcast, but it actually doesn't go off. It, they, the people who created it kind of created their own um, okay. lectionary, but it's a, but it's still off the, the, lec- the sort of based on the Revised Common Lectionary, but yeah. kind of not. So I, so I listened to that. And then um, with the actual um BCP lectionary. I spend time in the morning. Um, I'm trying to get morning and evening, but right now, um, as it's only I've only been able to do the morning, where I um, read through the morning readings in the in the lectionary and kind of make some notes and stuff on them. So I have that, and then. Um, I also have an Anglican rosary, um, which is different than like a Catholic rosary. Oh, so okay. instead of like, so instead of uh, a Catholic rosary has five decades. Uh-huh. Um, so five sets of 10 beads. Um, an Anglican rosary has four sets of seven beads. So instead of a decade, it's a week. Oh. And um, you have like, like four. So there's like four sets of those. Each of those is um, called like a cruciform or whatever. And so mm-hmm. um, there are, are some some prayers that um, so instead of do instead of you know, praying I mean I guess you could you could pray Hail Mary but instead of praying the Hail, Hail Mary um, there there are there are several different books that kind of have um, some different types of prayers and stuff that you can do so it's kind of a I think of it the way that I do it is kind of more of a complementative prayer prayer mm-hmm. um, typed type of of thing and so um, so so I use that and. Um, I'm trying to think if there's if there's anything else. Those are those are kind of the, those, the things I'm doing right now. Yeah. And the BCP that's Book of Common Prayer. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, let's let's. I want to ask you about Fuller, and I just had. I'm not sure if you familiar with Phillips Seminary in Tulsa. Yes. I interviewed the president. I think a couple weeks ago, and the question I asked her, which is kind of a hard question, but it's the question I seriously think about as much as I love theological education. Like as a recent grad, like what advice do you have for future students about like balancing the costs of seminary with also at least what I'm seeing is like diminishing job prospects, lower salaries, all that. So, yeah, you know, at this point there, there's no way around that, that I can perceive Mm -hmm. and maybe, and I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that. Um, 
you have to kind of know what you're getting yourself into. And so for me, it's not even the seminary isn't even really the issue. Some of this comes down to is a catch 22 for denominations. And so um, denomination is often denominational entities that require a certain level of education. Right. And even within that, there's an aspect of that that is inherently classist. Yes. Um, You're going to pay thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to for, for an education and schools often do not subsidize that education. Now, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to get into a school like Princeton mm-hmm. or Georgetown or something like that, um, you can, you can be fully funded even for, for an MDiv. Um, yeah. I believe that Princeton fully, fully funds their MDiv program. Um, but, but, um, cause they have endowment money and all that other type of stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, a lot of seminaries don't have that. And so they are, they are at the mercy of students who are willing to pay and are willing to pay all that money. And I I was a fuller online student, so I didn't, I didn't live in Pasadena. I was on, I was, um, an online student and incidentally, I mean, you're paying, you're not paying any differently than, and so so it's kind of interesting to me, like in some of this with the pandemic where students are freaking out because they're like, well, I don't want to have to pay full price. And it's like, you know, if you were an online student at any institution, you are still paying full price. Yeah. Like, like, like that's just, like that's just what it is. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm paying full price, and and you know, I, I get that. I, I get that. You know, students wanting geophysical, yeah. look, um, geophysical education. Like, I'm not necessarily putting students down um, for that, but I think that for being upset that that they still have to pay full tuition. At the same time, there are people who have paid. Paid, who, who have entire degrees, um, who've paid full tuition to, at the very least, do a hybrid program, if not and if not online. And so you can you can argue one way or the other who you know who's who's getting screwed on that was it, was it <laughs> yeah. the online students or is it the students now? Um, it, and that that's you know it it really doesn't it it, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the talking you know seminary education is that we get to this place where denominations and I and I'm not knocking the I'm not knocking education requirements yeah. at yeah. all. I right. think yeah. that especially somebody coming from um, a non-denominational standpoint, yeah. um, coming from it from a non-denominational background. So, you know, somebody coming from, um, as someone coming from kind of a non-denominational perspective, mm-hmm. um, I think that, that you know, the democratization of, of information and knowledge is important. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know it's 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 great. There there are a lot of there are a lot of pastors and churches, um, you know, groups and fellowships and different things who have who have um, emerged, who sort of have gotten around some of those educational requirements. And mm-hmm. I you know I'm the type of person I think that's that's great. You, you're called of God, God's God's sending you to do ministry. You're able to do ministry. That's great. But I also recognize that there can be. Um, they can be problematic if a pastor, if leaders don't rightly know how to look yeah. at the scripture and don't, and if there's yeah. certain things that they don't under, that they don't understand and it, yeah, they're, that can get messy. And so I say that like there's, it's kind of this weird thing because like, it's like, you know, I, I don't believe in theological gatekeeping. I think yeah. a lot of times, particularly white men um, yeah. want to sit and want to want to gatekeep people's theology. And 
I don't think that that's okay. Um, at the same time, I think that you can get a lot of bad, you, you can have bad theology anywhere. Yeah. And there's, and, but bad theology even among the most, exists even among the most learned, among the most educated yeah. of, of people. And so that's just, that's just kind of what it is. But with that said, um, I think that it's important for, for ministers, for pastors to be educated in how to read the scripture. And then the other aspect of that is basic is kind of just some of that stuff that's best basic to, to ministry outside of, of biblical interpretation and theology and, and that type of thing is just like being educated in how to treat people and yeah. in how to approach the pulpit. Like, yeah. you know, I've been, I've encountered pastors who would use the pul- who use the pulpit in ways that it's like, well, if you had taken the homiletics, class like the basic homiletics class they would have mm-hmm. told you like yeah don't you know process things that you're going through with right. members of the congregation yeah. in your sermon yeah but like you didn't take your preaching you didn't take a preaching class so yeah. you don't know not to do that crap and so i mean you know you would think that that would be common sense but right it's not always common sense isn't always common yeah. but like you know a seminary class that tell that that i mean it doesn't mean like you have a seminary class and so then suddenly like you're not going to do that <laughs> anymore um because there's, um, yeah. there's still people yeah. who who take it who, who have taken seminary classes who still do that um still do that crap but it's different than like but but like there's a, there's a chance that, that that could stop somebody from from being yeah. a jerk in the pulpit yeah. and so it's like if somebody you know is like you're you're you you have um books and things that you're that you're reading and things that you're learning that are telling you hey don't be a jerk in the pulpit and it's like oh hey maybe i shouldn't be a jerk in the imagine pulpit. that and so <laughs> it's like like i said i mean there are people who are jerks in the pulpit and you know have phds so education doesn't doesn't stop people from being jerks that's just that, that, like there's there's just you can't do that but my point is we hope it helps sometimes but we but we at least hope that it helps that yeah. it at least will like put a check in people's spirit i guess yeah. so like you know uh, so i say that and i think that 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 is one way that education can can be important and so i think that if denominations if if groups of Christians are wanting there to be more churches and wanting there to be more pastors and wanting the churches and stuff that they've developed to be healthy and solid, then I'm not necessarily saying like remove education requirements, but make education accessible to everyone. Make it, make it accessible to that person who has a calling, but doesn't, but doesn't have $50,000 to spend, but doesn't have, and, and maybe, and maybe they're not going to, um, maybe they're not going to you know qualify for for the the paltry amount of scholarship money that you that you give out and so i think that some of that that some of that whenever you talk about dwindling job prospects and all that some of that is on denominations i i really yeah. think that some of that is on denominational leadership to encourage um as we i think that that mainline churches are becoming more and more aged um there's mainline churches one thing that that i will give evangelicalism is that they have is that they have figured out um in some ways how to how to bleed 
mainline churches and other and other churches dry um, the <laughs> mega church the mega church yeah. um, complex where it's yep. like I mean there's there's a point you know coming and so this is somebody that I'm speaking as somebody who comes from the buckle of the Bible Belt mm-hmm. that like if you have you know a few churches that that are able to to draw thousands and even tens and thousands of people yeah. um, that that kind of hurts the little church on the corner that they're not able to provide yeah. they don't have the fu- the resources and funds to be able to provide like you know, a children's ministry with, with like all with like the newest fancy, fanciest, latest, whatever. Yep. And so that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But I think that, um, that a lot of denominations are going to have to start looking at not, not looking at their requirements in terms of, okay, we start requiring less of people, mm-hmm. but looking at it in terms of accessibility. And so I think that for, that for people, for students, for prospective people who are looking in, into becoming, who, becoming ministers, you really are going to have to be like, is it, are, are you really called? Is this really what you want to do? Mm. Um, is this is this really what you want to do? I think that it's gonna that you're gonna have to look at. You know what? You might really want to be a pastor, but mm-hmm. you're probably gonna have to be bivocational, and yeah. so you probably are gonna need to cultivate yep. other other skills and other things that are necessary um, mm. for for the survival of of your family for the survive for for your own survival, even if you're if you're able to eat. Um, so yeah. so you'll be able to eat, and so I think that that's something that that, that we have to also. Add that, that, that those of us um, going into ministry, I might say this, I mean, I've, I've been in ministry and whatever, but, but people who are looking at that, at that as a path is, why are you doing it? Do you have tens of thousands of dollars lying around to yeah. be able to do it? And then like, are you really, are you really called to this? Like, you know, mm-hmm. seminary is part of the process of being in seminary is discernment right but like you know don't like you can also i, I mean i i believe in a democratic holy spirit and i believe that like you can hear the holy spirit at the seminary or you can hear the holy spirit like in your shower and so <laughs> like you really like i mean you can you can pay you know money for a spiritual director or whatever to help you be able to figure this out like don't pay like ten thousand dollars to go to seminary <laughs> to, to figure out whether or not you're There's called I mean, unless there are cheaper ways to do it unless you just have that kind of money i mean yeah. if you've got it like that okay but like know that you're called well, and no no make your calling and election sure as as peter i think said um you know make sure that you know that what you're supposed to do is what you're supposed that, that this is what you're supposed to do i'm not saying that like god's gonna pay off your student loans um yeah i'm like i'm not about say i'm not saying that i'm not saying that like okay well you know you're called and so god's gonna give you a scholarship and and you know thus said the lord his, those student loans are gonna be paid because jesus paid it all like no that's not that's like you're still gonna have to pay sally may and freddie mac and whoever else fafsa whoever else these yeah. folks are that's taken that's taken folks money yeah mohila listen um all these all these folks taking people's money um but yeah just just make sure that that's what you that you want to do and have other sources of income lined up i think i think what you say about like the bivocational thing is a super important thing too um when i was a freshman at baptist bible college there in springfield missouri i remember my mom telling me and trying to get me to say, hey, Lauren, you need to get something marketable, a marketable degree. And here now, almost, well, 15-ish, 20-ish years later, like I'm working on an MBA right now because I basically have two like worthless degrees <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in religion and theology, uh, trying to make myself more marketable. Not 
not that I want to leave the church, but because like I realized like, yeah, it's not what it used to be, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really not. And I, I have the privilege of my husband um, working and he's the primary breadwinner. I also, mm-hmm. I also work. I also um, am a freelance writer. Um, I, I have supporters and stuff on Patreon that support my anti-racism work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able, so I'm able to pull in some money and stuff there. Um, but, but I have, but that's, that's really um, privilege, honestly, um, to yeah. be able to be able to make a living and not everybody else, not everybody else has that. Not everyone yeah. else, not everyone else has a partner that, that makes enough money that you can survive off of one income if you need to. Um, yeah, and that gets back to the whole the seminary thing too. Because I, I even I remember during seminary, like all my classmates were working in churches, either voluntary or getting paid a little bit. And I was like, I have to, you know, I have to, I have to support my wife and who's going to school at the time too. And so, yeah, it's definitely challenging. Yeah, it, it definitely for it, sure it definitely can be. Well, let me ask you if I can, like, this is kind of a generic question, but I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think thinking about your work in anti-racism and just kind of many things that I imagine you've experienced in church and something that I've thought about, like, why, why still church? I mean, you've planted a church, um, like you've really invested your life in a church. And, and I, I asked this, I ask this as someone who deeply loves the church and is passionate about like this thing we call church, but I also like am very aware of like the real hurt and pain it can cause. And I just, I got, I just want to ask you like why church for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that, you know, we definitely have to admit, we definitely have to, place um if not like you know at the center and like you know wave it wave it around as like the only thing that we discuss i think that we do have to say at least church has been a source of of pain it's been a source of hurt it's been a source of heartache for a lot of folks and for some people like that pain that heartache that whatever it's something that is insurmountable for them. Mm-hmm. So there, so the pain, the, 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 I, I've also experienced pain in church mm-hmm. and it's been, and it's been difficult. It's yeah. been, it's been hard. Um, you know, there's been, I've, I've had a lot of sleepless nights because of things that have happened in church. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of anxiety and a lot of, and a lot of trauma and a lot of different things because of stuff that that's happened, yeah. that's happened in church. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to minimize those experiences at, at all. I think that it's something that we, it's something that we, that we, as the church, we have to, admit to we have to own we have mm-hmm. to we have to act we, we, we can't stop um we can't we can't afford to just pretend like church is perfect um and so i think that for me church is that the reason why church for me is because it's not perfect oh. it's messy it's something like i mean churches churches are messy church drama is messy yeah. it's messy whenever people whenever people do things that they're that they're not supposed to do yeah. um it's it's like i i just 
I, I could I could talk about that um, all day long. It's messy. It's difficult. But I think that that the way that my personality is set up is that I am a type of person that I tend to look at things that can be hard and difficult spaces to be in and say, that's where I need to be. Wow. I need to be where that, I need to be where that is because you know what? God is in that mess. Now hear me if I say God is in the mess. I'm not saying that God, people are like, Oh yeah, God's in that. God, (laughs) God isn't in somebody molesting somebody. Okay. Like God, God was not, God was not in that. God didn't say, well, that no, no, that's not what I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not justifying racism. I'm not justifying homophobia and transphobia. I'm not justifying sexism and saying, well, God's in that. God's in the church. God's in that. No, God, God doesn't want any of that. Mm -hmm. But what I know is that whenever I say that God is in it, whenever I say God is in our mess, God is in, I I really truly believe that God is someone that, that redeems. He's a, he's a God that, um, that gives people second chances. He's Mm -hmm. a God, he's a God that says, I mean, I think of, of the apostle Peter and, you know, he was a fisherman and he was just this, this, you know, fisherman and, and, and Jesus was like, Hey, follow me. And Mm -hmm. so, and so Peter followed him. And then, Peter, Jesus told Peter, like, hey, guess what? You're going to deny me. And, you know, before, before cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, it's all, it's good. It's a no, all Jesus, good. I'm right for you. It's all, like, whatever. And what did, and what did Peter do? Peter denied, denied Jesus. Denied, denied Jesus was like, I was like, and the Bible basically says he, he, he cursed. I don't Jesus. know. Like he was like, he was like, he was like, I, he was like, you know, like, I don't know that. And you could insert probably like yeah. choice language there. Yep. And like, what happened? Like you know, Peter, he, after Jesus was dead, it was whatever. He went back to fishing. He was on the boat. He was just like, okay, well, you know, I, I, I had to mess that up. You know, I had to chopped off that man's ear in the garden of Gethsemane. Then I done denied Jesus. And like, Jesus don't have nothing to do with me. And then what happened? Jesus rises from the dead. He shows up and he goes to Peter and he, and he pulls Peter in and he's like, you know, Peter, like, you know, Hey, do you love me? Like, Hey, mm-hmm. you're okay. If you love me, if you yeah. love me, feed my sheep. And so, and so then we see Peter next, like in, at, you know, after all the, all the resurrection appearances and all this other type of stuff. And after the Ascension, we see Peter in Acts two being the person that that whenever the Holy Spirit was was imparted to the church, we see we see Peter the one being the person yeah, that right stands there. up and he's and he's right there. The person who was the person who was a mess, the person who yeah. who denied Jesus, the person that 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 was like, I don't know him, the person that was just like, I'm gonna go back to fishing, the person that was just like, I'm gonna chop off some dude's ear. <laughs> like that, like that person was there. And like you know, the, the book of Acts centers Peter yeah. um at first and then and then it switch, switch, switches to Paul. Right. And then even after all that, Peter was still a mess. We find out in Gal- we found out in Galatians that Paul had to had to call Peter on the carpet for some of his yeah. behavior. And so we see that but like but he was but he was still an apostle and God still used him to God God still God still anointed Peter to be able to share the good news of who mm-hmm. Jesus was. And so whenever I say that God's in the mess, that doesn't mean that like, you know, God's sitting there giving his stamp of approval. Right. God, isn't, God isn't giving, God isn't giving their stamp of approval on everything that every ratchet person in the church does. And I think that, that it grieves God's heart whenever, yeah. whenever there are people that act a fool in the church yet, 
I really believe that God is there trying to help people, trying to redeem people, trying to give people those second those second chances. Yeah. Sometimes those second chances turn into third, fourth, fifteenth chances. And you know what? There are times whenever God's like, you know, nope. Nope, I'm not. I'm not down yeah. with this. Like y'all, like you, you've got to go. I mean, yeah. like you can't, you can't be, you can't be up in here doing this. And so, I mean, I, so I think that that you know, and I'm not you know trying to liken my personality and character to Christ at all because mm-hmm. I, because I, I am not anywhere near that. Yeah. Um. But I, but I see. I think that I see that God wants to. I see God where I see God is in those places that are messy. And so my hope in being in the church and, and why I why I choose to be a minister is because I think that it is so important for the people who are outcast, the people who are who are looked down upon by mm-hmm. society, that those people have a chance to know the love of God. Yeah, and I think that so many times, and I say this once again, as somebody who who spent a lot of their adult life in the Bible Belt, where there's like like church becomes like this cool kid thing, and it becomes like the cool kid table, yeah. and like you've got all yeah. these different churches, like you've got yep. you've got all the different churches that like oh oh here's the 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 cool kid church that does this, and here's you know the the, the alpha churches and the beta churches, and yep. got the church, and 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 you got the gossip, and you got the like oh this person. Left this group and went to this group, and you got just like all this other this other stuff. Well, you know, for me, like I was whenever I was in high school, I was I didn't realize this until like hindsight, but I was like really really super popular in high school. Uh-huh. But I wasn't like I, I was a cool kid, but I wasn't like the part of the cool kid. Like like so, me being a, a teenager, growing up in the like late nineties and in two thousand, I graduated high school in two thousand four. So okay. some of my vernacular might not be like you know hip. To, yeah, to, to today's yeah. to today's vernacular yeah. but like i wasn't a prep so like the preps whenever i was growing up in school the preps were like the people who they were they were the they most often their, their parents were rich um or, or of means but not always not not every i came from a small town so not everybody was mm-hmm. like that um but they were the people that were just that that were popular that were that they were the people who were on the cheerleading squad and the student council and they were the ones that all the teachers loved even though some of them like were just like trashed everybody else Right. Um, and just they they were they were you know kind of the clean cut all American kids, and um, like I I was not part of that group. I was a cool kid, but I was not part of that group at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like if my group was anything, it was like kind of the band slash fine arts nerds. Yeah, but I had friends literally everywhere in the school. And like literally, like my I was friends from from I could I could hang with the people who were the most popular, but I didn't like go and hang out with them or whatever. But those kids respected me all the way down to the kids that like people were sitting at the table by them by themselves. And I remember um, last year, I think it was, I was at um, my 15th high school reunion and um, it was back in, in our hometown and it was at, it was at a restaurant or something um, or like a bar or some, some, I don't, I don't, yeah. know, I don't even keep up at home like that, but it was some place that people, some establishment that people gather at. And so, you know, different people from my class were there and you, know, a lot of them were preps, a lot of my friends, a lot of kids I hung out with, like, like they were like, they're not like, hell no, I'm not coming back to high school reunion. I'm not going <laughs> back there. Yeah. I'm going back there like for like, reunion, whatever. Um, but there was a woman who walked in and a lot of people didn't didn't recognize her i don't think a lot of people were like okay like 
this person is standing near us and they seem like that they're supposed to be part of our class, but they didn't, but they didn't recognize her mm-hmm. at first. And so I looked at her and I was looking and I was like, okay, I remember this woman mm-hmm. and she was the girl in school that she was overweight. She was very poor, didn't smell very well. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in elementary school, she was the kid that, that like everybody made fun of everyone mm-hmm. made fun of her like she was the she was the butt of like everybody's yeah. jokes and everything and so i'm not saying it's like you know to, to like brag on myself or anything like that but just it was like she was there i'm like oh hey girl how you doing like whatever you sit down just talking with her whatever and so uh one of my good friends you know been, been good friends and stuff since second grade like i like i went over and she was like I, like I, after i got through talking to her um i went over sat by my friend and my friend just looked at me and she was like you always make everybody feel so damn important wow and i was just like and and i mean i didn't i didn't wasn't really thinking about it i was just i was like you know, high school union i went into like youth pastor mode like i'm trying to yeah, you know, gather yeah. everybody and make sure that everybody's having a good time yeah. and like you know i'm not the class president or anything but like i'm here like i'm trying to make sure everybody's having a good time mm-hmm. and everybody feels seen and everybody's like whatever because i'm just in youth pastor mode because that's what you do as a youth pastor right, like you have yeah. kids you, you have kids from all different kinds of groups yeah. and you're trying to get them to, you're trying to like not have a fight you're trying to not have like you're trying to make everybody feel feel welcome mm-hmm. and so I have just, so I, so I liken that to church and that I've always been the person that if, and I was like this, even as a teenager, like there'd be kids in band that like, you know, band isn't like really the, I mean, there are cool kids in band, but band right. isn't really like the cool kid thing. There'd be even among people in band, like the kid that like just got on everybody's nerve and you're like, and they're like, shut up, whatever. <laughs> I would always be the person that was like, no, don't talk to that kid that way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah he's annoying, but like, we're going to be nice to him. <laughs> like like even over the band director is like okay this kid yeah. is my nerve like i like i really hate this kid i'm like no we're gonna be not we're gonna be nice to john we're gonna treat yeah. him nicely and so like i see i think that, that a lot of that is my approach to church is that it's like you know i want the cool kids to come to right. my church like whenever i start a church yeah i want the cool kids to be there you don't want the preppy kids to be there but i also want the church to be full of the kids that were that, that that were poor and smelled bad mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to be around them and they were the butt of everyone's jokes and nobody yeah. cares about them and i want to be able to go and not make them feel important because i'm anybody important and have anything to make anybody feel important but i just think that that's what jesus would do and i just yeah. think that like jesus that, that if we're talking about you know like once again by, by product of being a, a late 90s 2000s early 2000s kid you know wwjd yeah. you know, became that became a thing you yeah. know you have wwjd bracelets and stuff WWJD. and like i'm just like you know what would jesus do yeah. and i just feel like that in terms of church like i think like what would jesus do there's this institution where we're talking about a man who can change people's lives mm-hmm. and yeah there's people who've done like just there's people who've done like just like a lot of crappy stuff mm-hmm. like just period like that in in the name of that yep. and that sucks and mm-hmm. i hate that um but yeah, i just feel like that jesus would be that. like i just you know, i just feel like that jesus would be like you know yeah i know that people i mean because well i mean people were doing it in his time and people were making like a mockery right. of god in his time and i just feel like that jesus would be like okay cool like yeah they're doing that and whatever go off but like here i'm here for y'all 
And like, this is like, this, like I'm going to grab the fishermen and the, and the zealots and like the tax collectors and all these people, the, the women who were caught in adultery, the prostitutes, the people who, who were marginal women. I mean, who were like mar- super marginalized in society. Like that's who I'm going to hang around. And that's who like, I'm going to start a movement with. And so I guess that that's, that that's why, um, that, that, that's why I'm here is to be like, well, you know, Jesus loves everybody. And so I'm just going to be here and love everybody. And that's awesome. hopefully it not be too big of a mess. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you real quick and we got to take a break after this. Um, when you think about kind of like this time that we're in with COVID, with the social justice movement and anti-racism movement, that's really come to the forefront. Like, what do you think, like, how is this going to affect the church going forward? What do you think? I think that the church is really going to have to, everybody that isn't a, a denomination that is inhabited by, as a predominating force or wasn't started by marginalized folks, mm. um, everybody's going to have to have a moment of reckoning. Oh. Every group of, every group, people, whether or not, the the denomination started before slavery, during slavery, after slavery, before the civil rights, during the civil rights movement, after the civil rights movement, everybody is going to have to come to a moment of reckoning of their complicity, these institutions and their complicity Mm. in racism. That's, that's virtually everybody. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's, um, let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Allie Henny. And let's, uh, I tell people, Allie, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, do you have one agenda item you'd like to accomplish? So if I was the Pope, like the, like we talk about the Catholic Pope. Well, generally, but if you can be imaginative here, this is all hypothetical. Okay, like I didn't, I didn't know if like Pope was like supposed to be a metaphor for something. Okay, <laughs> if I was a literal Catholic Pope, yeah. I would be like, okay, yeah, women, women can be ordained in ministry, and y'all can get married. <laughs> great, great. Do you have a theological or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Oh wow. Um, so okay, I was th- I was thinking about this one. Um, Goodness, it's it's really hard to think. So, like, I would want to meet James Cone. James Cone passed away like two years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, he. So, I feel like that he's been around like long enough that it's like, okay, well, that seems silly to resurrect him, um, just to be like, because I mean, he's like he like he passed away recent recently right. enough that it's sort of like like let the man rest. Um, <laughs> like, as far as I mean, I don't know. Maybe Howard Thurman, okay. um, who wrote yeah. Jesus and the Disinherited, yeah. or um, Harriet Tubman, who we don't often think okay. of as a theologian, yeah. but but like you know, I don't know, some black woman somewhere yeah. that did something. Um, in terms of historical figures, I'll, like give me give me a second because I because I because I know the answer yeah. to this. Um, I know I know the answer to this. Who would it be? Who would it be? 
Well, you want me to come back to that? No, no, I, I, I can, I can do this. I can do this. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to like, like I have a couple in my mind, and I'm trying to, and I'm trying to decide. I don't know why I'm taking this so seriously, but I'm like, no, I gotta, I, I have to give a good answer. That's great. Um, goodness. Okay, in terms of historical, so are we saying, saying historical or like biblical? Like, I mean, I leave it open to interpretation. Okay, so I'm going to say somebody that's not in the Bible. Yeah. Um, take historical to mean someone who is who is not in the Bible. Um, so. I think that maybe I would I would resurrect origin. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that maybe that maybe I would resurrect origin, or I'm trying to think of of somebody of somebody else, or really like can can, can it be a group of people? Hey, you're making the rules here. Okay, okay, I'm making the rules here. So if it so okay, I. I'm not very good at church history. I mean, uh-huh. I am, but I'm not. And I'm for, and I'm going to make, I'm probably gonna make a fool of myself here, but I really want to resurrect. And I can't remember who it is, but I really need to resurrect the dude who is the Bishop of Rome, who is the Pope, who just, who was just like, basically like the, the group of people who decided to add the filioque clause to the Nicene Creed. Oh. I need to, I need to, I need to like resurrect all of those people because I, and and the reason for this is because I'm going to get, I mean, kind of nerdy on this. Um, I actually don't agree with the filioque clause. I think that the Eastern church is right. I don't think Uh that the Holy spirit proceeds from both the father and the son. I don't believe in double procession. I think that the Holy spirit proceeds from the father. I think that the, that the double procession doctrine, Oh, we're getting deep here, folks. I know that people like, like you're like, Oh, but it's, it's built as whatever, but the unintended consequence, uh, the unintended consequence of the double procession doctrine Mm -hmm. is that it subordinates the Holy spirit to the father and the son. Yeah, and I think this is my Pentecostalism coming out. Yeah, but I, I think say. that 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 led has led to a suppression of the Holy Spirit in uh, in the Western Church and in Western thought. And I and I will not get too deep into it, but I also think that it was they did not do this because of these reasons. But I think that it also has allowed a root of misogyny into the church because ah. the whole. Spirit is um, referred to in the Old Testament with female pronouns, yeah. and in the Holy in in the New Testament rather, um, the Holy Spirit is often referred to in neuter pronouns. Yeah. So so like they them pronouns, right? Um, essentially, or it more specifically, it is yeah. is, is the accurate way um, to say that. And so I think that that because we have subordinated in the West, the Holy spirit to the father and the son and just basically kind of said, okay, well, it's just the father and the son is there. And then the Holy spirit is like the bond of love or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just kind of eliminates Holy spirit. And so the Holy spirit, if you think of the Holy spirit as having some, you know, nurturing and kind of feminine attributes, it then allows men to be like, Oh, well that, well, that's like a bunch of feminine crap. And so like, we don't, and so like, we don't need that. So like, you know, songs, so then in, in in our hymnody, not really like hymns, hymns, but in our, you know, contemporary worship things, there there are pastors that are like, 
you know, get really sketch on songs that are, that, that emphasize some of those aspects that or are things that, that we talk about the Holy Spirit, that we would think about the Holy Spirit doing. So anyway, that was really super deep. But, but going oh, back great. to the question is like, I need to, I need to resurrect all those people. Cause first of all, like homie, I can't remember who it was, but homie who was like, yeah, we ain't, we ain't, we ain't doing that. Like we just, we just gonna, we are just gonna, we're That's just gonna great. add this clause. The rest of the church is like, hold up. And Bishop of Rome's just like, this is what we're doing. And this is, and like, y'all just gonna have to live with it. And I, and I can't remember homeboy's name, but, it, but he's just like, I'm, we're gonna have to live with it. First of all, I'm just like, how are you gonna do that? Yeah. With, like four, with like four other groups of churches, four other C's, like you just are gonna unilaterally just decide something. How did you do this? Yeah. But then I also need to know like how these other dudes, like how do they really feel about that? And like, <laughs> is it, was it cultural diversity? Like, I just, I just need to, I just need to know what happened. And just That's so I can great. argue with them because I, because I just, I want to like get in the Bishop of Rome's face and be like, what are you doing, man? Like, this isn't like, this isn't, this isn't going to do what you think it's going to do. I love it. I love it. Um, speaking of like historical, like any thoughts on like what this time and place will be remembered for in like 500 years? Um, Lord, if we make it that long, um, <laughs> like, like all these, all these folks showing out, not wearing their mask and everything. <laughs> um, like, man, so like masks folks, I mean, please let it, let us live to be able to see 500 years from now. Lord. So I think that in like reality, because, because with history, there's always like what people choose to remember and then like right. what actually happened. And yeah. so then you have to have like the people. So it's always like the marginalized people that will right. tell what actually happened. So I think that like what history is going to remember, what American history is going to remember is that there is that they're going to somehow like spin the narrative into, Oh yes, Americans came together and it was like this wonderful time of ingenuity <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Whenever, whenever it wasn't that, like, I think that that's how like people are going to remember it. Like that's like, those are the stories that are going to get told mm. potentially. I don't know. Yeah. Stuff could be just like so bad that it's like, Oh yeah, this was horrible. Like, yeah. but I mean, but I mean, we even managed to make the great depression into like a hero's tale. Yeah. And it's, and it's really not, yeah. but like, but like it, it became, it became like, Oh, well, look how, look how much ingenuity all these, I mean, all these people is white people. Um, I mm. mean, everybody else, I guess, you know, some of the marginalized folks were just living the way that they had been living. I mean, mm. so it wasn't, so it did, so it affected people, but yeah. not, but not quite in the same way, but they were able to kind of make themselves, at least wall street and corporate greed, but somehow, the, the people who, who suffered from it were able to make the white people who suffered from it were able to make themselves into, into like heroes and like, yeah, you know, my granddaddy pulled himself up from the bootstraps here yeah. in Oklahoma and whatever the story is mm-hmm. and not you know, to make fun of that. But that's, but, but I mean, yeah. you know, Americans just have a way of making like a hero's saga out yep. of anything. And I, and I, I'm just like, y'all just be like on one with that. Um, but I think that, 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 that those are going to be the stories of like, Oh yeah, they persevered, you know, the, the virus was scary, but like, as far as like what, but like the way that people are like really going to remember it or the people from below, I think it's going to be a bunch. I think that like the way that, that I would tell when my kids are living through it, but the way that I would tell my kids yeah. about it and tell, and tell my grandkids about it is that there were a lot of people out there showing their, behinds and wouldn't do something as basic as wearing a piece of cloth over their face when yeah. they went outside and so we could we could have been done had it beat 
but it could we could we could we could have crushed the curve in like a month but people cared too much about their sense of american freedom yep. to to be able to wear they cared way too much about that instead of caring about their neighbor and yeah. so yeah the pandemic lasted for however long it lasted and sure there are all these hero stories that people tell about it but really like you know it could have lasted three months and then we could have been done with it and been living like the rest of the world had been. Well, th- this has been a lot of fun. So thank you so much for your time, Allie. Where can people find out more about you? Um, yeah. So you can go to my website, uh, com. It's just my name. Uh-huh. dot com um and so they're like you're able to connect to my blog which is the armchair commentary um the armchair commentary.com there's a there's a link to that and yeah. um on and coming soon on my on my website I just haven't i haven't en- enabled the widgets yet you'll be able to connect to my different social media feeds um but as far as on social media um you can find me on facebook you just type in my name mm-hmm. and there's a public page that's there that um, I post to try to post to on it on a daily basis. My schedule has been a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I generally do it daily, um, but it's been a little bit off because of the, because of the pandemic. And then I am on Twitter as at the armchair com, which of course is short for the armchair commentary. Yep. Um, they back then they didn't let you have that many letters on Twitter. So I have that. And then I'm on Instagram as Allie Henny. And then um, I also have a Patreon. That's just my name. And I, and I do some, some content and stuff for my, my patrons every month there. So for as little as $2 a month, you can, you can support some of my anti-racism work. Well, awesome. Thank you so much again for your time. A uh, lot of fun talking to you as I always enjoy talking to people who have roots in Springfield too. It's <laughs> a funny part of my history, but uh Blessings during this crazy time and uh, health. I pray for you and your family and peace. So, uh, peace be with you. Well, thank you. Peace also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future Christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.